Joel, return us. One, two, three. Amos, Mojaner, one, two, three, four, five, six. Hami, Miguel, Bobby, Lami. All right. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to another special episode of Inside Curling. One day we should just do a show with just me. I think I could handle all the questions and all the emails and everything. Don't you think so, Warren? I think that would be absolutely perfect. It'd be thousands of people wanting to hear it. <laughs> all our shows, special or not, are brought to you by all our sponsors, including Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, and Nestle Boost. Here's what we're going to do on the show today. Uh, In the house, we're going to bring you two interviews, Kevin, that you did with a couple of guys from Italy, Joel Rotornez and, of course, uh, Amos Mozaner. I pronounced those right, didn't I? You did. Good job. Sure, I did, you know, because I know Italiano. And then a second interview will take place. We go over to Scotland and listen to Hammy and Lammy. It's not like the pet hamsters I had, Hammy and Lammy. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Of course, that's Hamilton McMillan and Bob Lammy from Team Mowat. Uh, in the House is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling Equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. So, Kev, off we go. Your interview with uh, the two lads. That, that'd be better for the Scotland one. Uh, the two dudes, okay, from, from, from Italy. Here we go. Hey, guys, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time here, stopping in and talking a little bit. Well, what a, what a last few uh, couple of years has been for you guys. Um, first thing... A new player. We've been talking to a lot of teams and there's new players all over the place, but you've got a new lead, Joel. Yeah, you know, going into a new Olympic cycle, we we wanted some some fresh air in the team. We wanted some fresh energy and uh, Matias has been playing with us in a few competitions already last season. He was fifth for the national team, but then he jumped in several times. So we we knew what we're we're going uh, to to have on the ice with him and the dynamic is good and uh, we're happy so far of the change and uh, you know it's always good to change some things and uh, look forward with new new goals talking about change uh, let's talk you first Joel uh change in Italy in curling what it meant for a podium finish in Vegas at the uh, world championships well that was huge you know we don't have so many players in Italy uh, we're a small curling country and uh, being on top uh, like in top 3 teams in the world and winning a medal and bringing home a medal it's it's something huge i, I mean um, we spent most of our of our lives on on curling ice and uh, once you get these kind of results you forget about all the rest like days away from home and uh, days you're taking away f- to your family basically so it's good uh, personally is a is a very good achievement and also for for our country i think it's it's something that can push forward for new generations and try to have more people playing curling in italy Mosh, obviously uh, i want to talk to you about the gold medal obviously congratulations massive undertaking and achievement i talked to you on our podcast right after you had won but now it's you've had time to have it sink in i understand you're a full-time curler now that's a big change for you i guess what's it done for your life i guess first yeah, I, I think uh, winning gold in the Olympics is 
not easy, especially with uh, all the wins and no losses. I didn't believe uh, right after, but now with uh, some months ago, I started to to believe it because I mean, it's really impressed. But uh, for sure, uh, my life changed a little bit, but not so much because I'm always a curler and I'm not on the top level of the world now with the men's and so. I mean, uh, with double mix was a little bit of surprise for everyone. I think the the life changes in the good way because now Italy start to move a little bit and try to develop in this sport too. Because one medal at the Olympics is really good for us, but I think uh, for Italy now is the most important part is to growing up for the Olympics in at home. It seems to me there's maybe a little, a different level of confidence in Italy for curling now. Stefania Constantini, your mixed doubles champion partner, they're doing very well also on the on the four person on the women's side. And I just see so much strength now with your team on the men's, Stefania's in the women's, and of course your team in the mixed doubles. I'd just like maybe talk about that uh, countrywide, curling's growth, but then also maybe just a, a national confidence or something I'm feeling why, when I'm, I'm following all you guys on, on, on social media. It just seems to me there's something going on. Something's happening in Italy with curling that we can feel. Yeah, but unfortunately, we're still uh, a few bunch of players. Like, uh, you know, if someone says, oh, I'm going to quit or I had enough uh, from in, in the men's side and in the women's side. You say, no, you can't. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you, you can't because, like, uh, it doesn't reflect what what's the Italian um, movement overall, I would say. We have a couple of good teams, uh, strong uh, mixed doubles couples in Italy, but uh, still a few bunch of players. Like you cannot pick uh, any other players at the moment right now because they're not quite at this level. So I would say maybe we have a men's team, a women's team growing, and uh, a, a few couples in mixed doubles. But uh, we can't afford like uh, stopping or uh, letting the the juniors step in because they're not quite at that level yet. Right, but to to add to that, I know it's only been a few months since you both won like that an amazing year but a, a definite growth with curling or I, mean, I shouldn't even say a growth because that's not fair because it's only been a few months i'd say interest in the sport of curling in italy because of the successes uh, of the last year oh yeah that's for sure like uh, people talk about curling in italy and uh, even the, the the newspapers are a bit more interested than they used to be still not enough from my point of view like we need more if we want to get to the level to other countries because uh, we really need a big support uh, money-wise and also like speaking more of curling. Uh, we, we're still a soccer country. Right. How can I say like, you know, it's uh, newspapers talking about soccer, even if uh, we have a gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist here or a bronze medalist at the Worlds, they're still talking about other sports. It's, curling is not in our culture. We're trying to change that, but it's, it's a tough, it's very tough. It's, not, it's a long way to go. Sure, it takes time. Absolutely, uh, your timing though of winning, I, I think it was perfect because you've got the next Olympics being at home, so you've got this terrific meddling in both men's and mixed doubles that happened in uh, in this Olympics and World Championship, and now you've got four years ahead to the next Olympics, which is in your backyard. Um, I guess your your plans, your not not you personally, but your plans as uh, Italian curling to be able to use that timing from your championship wins for four years to grow the game. How, how are you going to do that? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, a chance for us and for our country to to stay focused on curling because uh, before of the Olympics, before medals, maybe a lot of people in Italy doesn't know the, the curling sport. After that, at least a lot of people start to know the sport and uh, I think it's good, but uh, I think uh, there is more we can do or maybe federation or like uh, italian team uh, can do more to 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 go for the olympics at home because uh, like you said uh, we are not so many players and uh, is it difficult but uh, i think we need uh, more interest from from everyone from uh, italian team uh, federation social media the journalist and uh, newspaper and uh, I think uh, that's a lot of stuff to do, but I think we can uh, we can go in the right way. And uh, four years looks like a lot, but it's just around the corner. Yeah, you know, I, I think I've certainly had more countries reach out to me since uh, since the Olympics than than I've ever had before. Countries that aren't necessarily curling countries um, for the young people in those countries. Uh, Amesh, uh, how would you maybe, what advice would you give for these young curlers that want to become top-notch curlers in a country that might only have one or two curling facilities? What would, what would you offer? What, what kind of advice would you say to this young person who wants to be great at curling, but it's not going to be easy because they don't come from a traditional curling nation? I'd think... Uh an advice is like to come and try the sport because from outside it looks like easy, but it's not an easy sport because there is a lot of uh, stuff like uh, tactics, technique. And uh, I think uh, this kind of uh, sport can, uh, can be interested from the young players, young people who want to start because uh, I think tactics and techniques are good sport. I mean, to, to try it. Joel, um, when it comes to, uh, I get quite a few questions about countries that aren't traditional curling countries and the ice conditions, the building, the curling facility. What's it? What's it like? Like, I, I, how far is it from where you live? I guess it'd be from where you guys live to where you practice. And then when you do practice, do you make the ice or do you have an ice maker? And what are the conditions like? Just to give the people kind of an idea, what, what's what's it like for you guys curling at at home? We don't have that many facilities in Italy. And uh, I would say we have around four to five facilities. They're all spread out in the north of the country. And uh, two good facilities where you can find good ice conditions. So one is uh, is in Cembra, where we come from. And we we almost all live there. Like, I grew up in that place. My mom is from that place. And the, the, the rest of the team lives there. So it's like one kilometer to go to the ice rink. It's a, it's a two-sheeter. Okay. And it's probably the best the best facility in the whole country we have and uh, we can make our own ice like we have guys in the team who can make their own ice but uh, there is also an ice maker there and it's uh, I'm, Amos dad oh it's your, it's your dad okay that's cool Amos dad who makes ice and also Sebastiano's dad will jump in and help uh, help now so the, the fathers are making the, the, the job <laughs> uh, no but we, we know how to make ice especially Amos Sebastiano can make ice but uh, they're more than happy to, to make the ice ready for us and uh, we, can, we can practice every time we want because uh, there's not too many people curling at the moment there so especially during the day we can have as much ice as we want and so we, we're really thankful to, to have this, this kind of uh, ice conditions well you guys I really appreciate you taking the time um, 
I think that your what you've done in the last year, winning winning at the men's um, and and mixed doubles level, uh, has just opened up, I think, a belief in a lot of nations um, that they can win in curling. And I think you've grown the sport internationally in a huge way. So thank you very much. We thank you, and we thank uh, the people who, that we have inspired because uh, that's also one goal of, of of curling. You know, not just making results for yourself, but if you can inspire people, inspire countries who are not like traditional curling country, that's uh, something good we've done, and uh, we're proud to to be ambassadors for this. Good, thank you. Okay, Warren, what do you take away from that? Well, very interesting interview with those two guys. Um, I find that uh, they've indicated very few curlers in in Italy, which I think we knew, but uh, that there's only really one good men's team besides them, which is uh, kind of interesting, and the fact that they don't think they're good enough to, to go out of the country yet. I think the facility is in Italy, um, that there's five of them. I didn't think there's probably that many, and they said two of them have good ice, the other five not so much. Um, the club that they do all the practicing out of, that they do some of the ice preparation. But I thought the main thing that I thought was kind of amusing was the fact that their two fathers are involved in the ice making in that club. And as a result of that, they're able to uh, get lots of ice time. So I think curling in Italy with the result of that gold medal at uh, Mosana one in, uh, in Beijing is going to help the sport immensely in Italy. And uh, we look forward, I think, to the next Olympics that's going to be there. Kevin. Yeah, the bronze. Well, then the bronze and the men's, right? As well. For, yes, uh, for, for the world, for the, yeah, for the men's team. So, yeah, terrific. Um, it's kind of funny, you know. You talk about the curling in, in small countries or small communities, and it's kind of a family thing. And and uh, it's funny in in our family, uh, I always made the ice for for our practices, no matter what building we were in. It's just something I always did for all my years. But Dad was actually an ice maker as well. He made ice uh, for about seventeen years at the Avonair Curling Club in Edmonton. And then my great-grandfather actually made ice in the Menorah Club in the 40s. So, um, so you know, it's funny. You go over the family histories of, of curlers, and it tends to be pretty deep and no difference in Italy. You know, the, the dads are the ice makers, and, and that's kind of the way we grew up in, in small-town Lougheed, Alberta. So it's kind of, uh, kind of neat that way. I really think, Warren, that the curling is really going to grow in Italy. The athletes are fantastic. They're strong in men's, they're strong in mixed doubles, but they're also strong in women's. Stefania Constantini is also has a very good women's team right now. So uh, Curling's going to continue to grow. Uh, having the Olympics in Italy uh, for the Winter Olympics next time is huge as well. So I think that's uh, it bodes well for Italian curling. And uh, it is kind of fun, though, when it comes to uh, families and, and kind of the history of families and, and how, uh, how the kids continue to grow the sport. Yeah, you know, speaking of teams coming up who who no one ever expected they do this well. That that Pan Continental Championship, there was that whole two tier level, right? Of teams that you were when you hear about them, you're going, "What? <laughs> India is uh, and, not and they're getting that, pretty good. India's they're, they're yeah they're good. Uh, good stuff, uh, Kev. Well done. Uh, you did a uh, another interview with the now it's uh, the two lads from Scotland. Okay, the two lads from Scotland, Hami and Lamy. Okay, uh, they sound, the nicknames make them sound like fun. Uh, that was Hamilton <laughs> McMillan and Bob Lammy. Uh, good job, Kev, getting these guys and sitting down with them. Here you go. 
Guys, thank you very much, Hammy, Lammy, for uh, taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess, first of all, uh, we need to talk about the bar fight uh, you're in with the, the hand, because that's a, this time of year, I guess, being a first year of a quadrennial, I guess it's a good time to have it happen. But what's going on with your, uh, with your hand? Yeah, I wish there was some extravagant story I could tell you, like, like a bar fight. But unfortunately, it was actually just a wee, uh, slip on the ice a few couple of weeks ago and uh, just broke a bone in my hand. So letting that heal just now a wee bit. So no swooping for now. But fortunately, doing some rehab and I'm able to throw this week. Yeah, you know what? We talk to a lot of clubs over, or, you know, with what I do. And, uh, but wasn't the, uh, the divider, like the divider between the sheets, kind of one of the, I'll tell you why. We talked to a lot of clubs and we put a lot of foam and softer dividers or, or uh, in, in, cause this is not, a, this isn't a joke. Like a lot of people slip and then those dividers a lot of times are made of hard material, be it wood or, or puck board or whatever the case may be. Wasn't that part of the, what's going on? Uh, yeah, it was actually, I was walking on the one of the sideways and just lost my foot and I guess, and just slipped off the side of one of them and landed on it. And like you said, it's a pretty hard material. So there wasn't much forgiveness there. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. No, and, and no joking at no, all. Yeah. Cause it happens, uh, in lots of, uh, in, in lots of buildings. So you guys are known as the, the, the best sweeping duel in our game. So I really want to get, dig into the, uh, like into, into your sweeping, I guess. Um, and, and your fitness, obviously extremely fit. Let's talk about that first. Uh, a day in the, in the, in the gym or a day with gym. Cause you guys do, on ice sessions in gym, Hammy. How's your day work in in Scotland when you're training? Yeah, kind of. I guess our days are split. To like Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays are very similar, where we do an individual or paired session, then we do a team session, and then we have our S and C our our strength sessions in the afternoons. Uh, say it's myself and Bobby in the gym in the afternoon. Grant and Bobby will be throwing, and they'll go into the gym in the morning. So we kind of split split up our sessions. So that's how we make sure we get our individual or paired sessions with our coach for doing technical work. And then we also come together and do our, our team session. So we're kind of doing three sessions a day on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then on a Tuesday and Thursday, we add in some games, maybe versus Team Y, or we do a individual, paired, and team session. Uh, and then we try and do some cardio after. And then in the gym, it'd be through a group of trainers, or do you have mostly one person in charge of the physical training for both the front end? Because training for the front end and the back end is not the same. No, uh, but I've got one trainer, a guy called uh, Josh Walsh. Uh, he just started this year for the new new quadrennial, uh, our old SNC coach. He he left at the end of the cycle and got a, a new job with the Yorkshire cricket team. Uh, but yeah, most of our, a lot of Olympic lifts, clean snatches, that sort of stuff, uh, kind of full body complexes. Uh, but yeah, I would say ours are quite similar to Bruce's and Grant's, but I think there is that little extra upper body bit towards the end when you're doing your accessory work. Sure. Um, Lammy, when it comes to uh, sweeping, like, speed must make a difference because your, your, your brush head speeds incredibly fast. Um, I guess the need for that, like, why do you have that incredible speed? Um, but then the training to be able to have that, is it a twitch muscle? That, what, are you, what are you working on to make sure you have that? Yeah, I think that just kind of comes down to your kind of explosive power and just being able to move, I guess, at a fast rate and just move the brush as fast as possible. But I think it's just kind of something that's evolved over the years. It's never something that gave too much thought to. As you see now, people are kind of veering towards pressure in some situations, but I think speed still has that quite a big impact uh, on the stone and 
trying to maintain that, I think, is quite important. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of couple of reasons. The angle uh, to the line, to the line of delivery, the line of the stone where it's going, the angle you want to sweep at for directional sweeping uh, versus carrying the stone. That's really important. Talk about that first, but then I really want to talk about the general public and like not not the high performance curler, but the pretty good club curler. But first, let's talk about the rock going down the sheet and the angle you like to have your broom at, your broom path for directional. Let's start with directional. Yeah, I think uh, one way, I don't know if it's scientifically correct, but one way I've always liked to think about it is you're just trying to create a path for the stone to follow in essence. So sweep away in which you kind of want the stone to follow. So if you want it to curl, you sweep in that direction and try and make a path for the stone to follow. And likewise, if you're trying to hold it straight, you're sweeping against it to try and back it up. Right. And looks now, how about carrying the rock further? Yeah. Right. We've kind of seen, like I said, over the last maybe a year or two, people are actually just leaning quite a lot more towards this pressure and leaning on the stone, especially for the first half. Kind of saves some energy, I guess, towards the second half of the sweep. And it seems to have the We've done some testing and just actually applying just pressure alone almost has a similar effect to just normal sweeping. We do see that quite a bit. And you're talking about being like hard pressure, hard pressure, yeah. uh, Hammy, to at least halfway, maybe even almost to the breaking point. And the breaking point, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, is somewhere in front of the hog line, if you watch a rock, it'll run straight, 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 straight. And then it almost looks like it turns upon itself. And that's the breaking point. Hammy, your thoughts on on the hard, clean and 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 then brush hard um, to save energy, to Bobby's point, um, versus sweeping hard all the way down the sheet. Now you're talking to a lot of people that aren't um, curling every day, but, but yeah. the, the regular club member. We do some sweeping drills back home for, for, for cardio. You know, we've tried the leading and sweeping for, you know, 30 seconds up and down, back and down the sheet, maybe a few times, then moving on and sweeping out for 30 seconds, which you might not sweep out there for 30 seconds for one sweep, but you know, you're, you're trying to take it to that extreme and it's hard. Whereas leaning for 30 seconds, it's slightly easier on the body. So if you lean for that first little bit, and as Bobby said, we think the stone can go close enough to the same distance and then go kind of hell for leather the last, last third. One thing that uh, Bruce uh, said, uh, we talked to Bruce quite a lot on Inside Curling on our podcast. Um, great uh, knowledge of the game. Now, one thing you guys have worked really hard on as a team is to uh, throw the rock fairly similar. I really like to talk about the draw to the button when you have to draw both sides and the importance that you think, Bobby, as far as having all four of your members throwing it the same so that it follows the same path to give you guys a better chance at hitting the button. Uh, yeah, I think that's obviously something that's very important. And it's just kind of evolved over the last five years we've been together. As Hammy said, we do a technical session every day together. And we have our team sessions. So I think just throwing together so much has just kind of evolved as almost into one and just uh, trying to keep that consistency throughout the team. Just like you said, for the draw to the button, but also just in general for Bruce having to call the game and call line. He knows exactly what to expect from he doesn't have to change icing and change stuff for different players. They can just keep it consistent throughout. Yeah, I think that's you guys have really changed the game, I would say, uh, in that regard, throwing it the same with the same amount of rotation. Like, not identical, but... No. but, but close. But, but close. Very close. <laughs> yeah. Very close. Um, and, and we saw it... Uh, 
there's a points bet event out of Fredericton um, where Canadian teams were competing, not not international teams. But late in the games, um, it seemed to matter a lot, depending on who was throwing the draws, as to the line the Rock would go down, and was it a predictable line, Hammy, or not? And I guess I'd like you to speak to this a little bit um, late in the game for Bruce to know the exact line of where his draw is going to go as for the speed. Yeah, I think because we all throw it quite similar, the, the line terms t- tends to stay quite similar for all of us. You know what I mean? We're not having somebody who throws it a rotation less they're going to curl an extra stone. So because we are so similar, I think that certainly does help with Bruce working out the line for those last kind of draws towards the end of the games. Right. I don't get to talk to the front ends very often. So this is kind of awesome. Um, when you go into a season, are there certain front end goals, Bobby? Like it's things that you and Hammy want to work on. Certain things after, you know, the Olympics are done now. We're into a new quadrennial. Are there a couple of things we're going, Hammy, we have got to do this. Yeah, yeah, I think we, at the start of every season, we set goals, whether that's kind of performance-based or individually. And yeah, I think it's just, it's just always the fire to try and be the best. And I don't think we kind of just stop where we're at. We're always trying to push up you much more, whether that's kind of on-ice work or uh, gym work, like Hammy said. We're just trying to always kind of get stronger and fitter. And just, I think that's, uh, as you see, a big importance factor in the game now. For young teams that are listening to this, um, from a t- from your team's point of view, you guys aren't very old. You're a young team still, winning a lot, but yeah. you're getting. getting there. Oh, I don't feel. Getting I don't there. feel very. Turn thirty young this year, some you know? days, but um, setting team goals like now we're talking about your front end goals. Uh, do you guys do that as a team, as a group of four or maybe five with the coach? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, do you set goals, Hammy, uh, for the year, or do you set it maybe even for the quadrennial or like what, what how do you set that up kind of set goals for kind of the quadrennial as long-term goals then our short-term goals or the season goals uh we've done goals where we look at our percentages from the year before and say look at say we when we start our shots we do like tech one tech twos and tech threes depending on the difficulty so a technical one shot might be an open shot tech two slightly difficult and tech threes are maybe the shots that Bruce has to play to angle runs to, to win games, for, exa- for example. So we'll look at those numbers and say, okay, where are they? Okay, open shots. They, they need to be, you know, 95 plus, for example, for a season. Because you shouldn't be missing open draw to rings or, or a nose hit. So we're trying to make sure we're setting goals to make ourselves accountable at the end of the season or at certain points. So if we're talking to, to a, a young team's coach, some, a team that's you know, 14 or 15 years old, and, and obviously their numbers won't be the same as your numbers, but the numbers still matter. Yeah. So if it's a technical one, a fairly simple shot, technical two or technical three, and then over the whole year, because the coaches have the ability to keep track of all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, we get a, each competition, we get a report for our numbers, for our stats for the week that it was Alan. It's now Michael Goodfellow, our, our new coach for the next next four years and then we get a season report as well so every single rock you threw last season we get a report and it breaks down to draws to freezes to tap backs to takeouts multiple takeouts peels everything it tells you you know right hand side of the sheet versus left hand side of the sheet and turn out turn etc so you can see potentially maybe a you'd hope not but it might be a eight percent difference between left and right side of the sheet why is that and we can go look at that and uh, we can break down the error codes etc and then go back and look at those errors and see where, where those errors were made and where we might have to make improvements. Last thing I want to talk to you guys about, and this is uh, people come in into my into my store a lot, and they're, you know, which broom do they want to get because they want to direct the rock. 
So in your mind, Bobby, a curling community, um, what percentage do you think of, of the club curler, the, you know, the pretty good curler, but not, but not high-level curler, um, could actually direct a stone like, to be able to, to help the, have, have a rock stay straight or actually get it to come around the guard a little bit? What do you think that is? How many people should concern themselves with this? It's, it's a hard one to answer, I guess, because it's hard to kind of quantify. But even for us, we still don't really know the full measurements and impact you have on the stone. We just we know it works and we go with that. But uh, I think for the club curler, like if if they're wanting to win games and they're wanting to be better, there's it's definitely important to kind of get yourself involved with that and go forward and try and just like observe as much as you can, I guess, out there and implement it in your own game. Yeah, the theory's there. The theory there for directional sweeping is there. No, you, if the stone's curling, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, if you are trying to hold the stone straight, you're sweeping for your push strokes into the stone. You know, against the against the curl. If you're trying to make the stone curl, then your push strokes with the with the curl with rotation. You know, the theory's there. So for any club curl out there, you might as well try. Uh, I think you're not hurting the distance that's going anyway. Absolutely no. And I think the material, the pads is the big one for club curlers. You know what I mean? If they're using... It's, no, you can still buy the the Balance Plus EQ pads. You can still buy the Hardline uh, Elite pads. I think they're called. I can't remember. The Maxi pads. Uh, so yeah, that will have a big big impact on the club curlers. Uh, but also we have to all use the same material here at Slams and at Worlds and major events. So it kind of... It does bring it back down to that physical aspect of the game now because all the pads are the same. So the best sweepers in the world. You're saying, you know, for the club curler, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Figure it out. Let's, the you know, the theory's there. Try it. Good, great. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Well, I think the first thing I'll take away from that is these guys are really full-time curlers. Uh, when they laid out their schedule that they normally follow most of the, the winter months, and I'm sure part of the summer as well, is their, their week is full. Uh, when they're at home, they uh, divide it into Monday, Wednesday, Friday as one uh, session and Tuesday, Thursday, other. So on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they divide in their day into three sessions. That includes gym throwing and a technical session. And then Tuesday and Thursday, where they try to work uh, on, on team games as well as mixed doubles and do some cardio. And through all this, they have a, a trainer that works with them for most of the time. So these guys are really full-time players, and uh, the way they perform on the ice certainly indicates that it was. I thought interesting discussion about the brushing and the carving, and I thought they had a very simple explanation about the about the carving was sweep in the direction you want the rock to go or not go and apply as much pressure as possible, particularly on the forward stroke, was their advice. And, and they did feel that club curlers could, uh, could try to work on carving a bit. And they said, keep working at it and you will learn. And the interesting point they made that club curlers aren't restricted to using the type of brush pads that the top guys are today. And so they've got probably maybe a better chance of learning how to carve within their level. So I, I found those comments were, uh, were rather interesting.
Kevin? Yeah, you know what? I just think uh, these two have really climbed the scale to top of the world um, in sweeping. There's there's you know probably a half a dozen pairs around the world that that are at the same level as Hammy and Lammy, but they've climbed the scale really quick. So a lot of hard work, and that's why I really wanted to sit down and chat with them because uh, I think a lot of the young curlers around the world really watch these two and try to copy how they do it. And uh, that's why I wanted to really hear their their technique, their training schedule, because it's so difficult to to get the kind of fitness that you need to be able to sweep like these guys. So in order to do that, okay, well, how do you do it? And I thought they did a great job of explaining it. And I thought it was kind of interesting, too, that they mentioned about not just four-person curling, but also mixed doubles. They tend to practice both because they, they do, they're different skill sets in both. And, of course, Bobby Lammy, one of the best uh, mixed doubles, they just won the world championship, him and, uh, and Eve. So that type of thing, I thought that was really interesting to hear them talk about not just practicing four-person, but also the mixed doubles types of skill sets. Uh, in their practice sessions and and there's no question you know the training you can see it uh, how fit they are but I'm not sure they're much more fit than anybody else and at the top level the the sweepers are incredibly fit they just have to be otherwise you just can't keep up everyone keeps looking for a secret right like uh what's what's Mowat doing you know the the other teams uh, we should we should try and figure out what they're doing and in the end Kevin uh, and Warren it's just uh, they work harder it sounds like they're always the first on the ice. They're always the last off the ice. You hear that about hockey players too, the very best. Well, it's because oh, that, that person was always on the ice first and you can never get them off the ice. Well, curling's the same. The people that love it and are passionate about it, they can't wait to get on the ice to practice and the ice maker or the manager has to come out to boot them off right. because they won't leave. Right. So it's just the way I'll, it is. I'll make you an interesting comment, Jim. Having worked at the coaching level with football for many years and then uh, having a lot to do with development aspect in curling, it's not always the best athletes that win or are successful. It's the people that have some reasonably good athletic ability that work the hardest. Right. And the people that work the hardest with the most desire to succeed are the ones that will come out in the end. And so it's not always the best athlete that wins. Did you practice, Kevin, as much in your day as they do now? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, well, I, didn't, I didn't hardly miss a day. That's the honest truth in all the years, unless it was right. a game day or a travel day. So, no, I, I pretty much practiced daily and that's you know my body's kind of falling apart because of it but that's all right but that's kind of the way it works you know and it's funny I was saying at a, at a I was giving a talk and Kark was there and uh, I was saying you know you might want to be careful with not working you know don't make sure the practice is quality not quantity because you know you want to you know da, da. anyway I, was, I got done talking Kark comes over and goes uh you know that that's just not really right what do you mean <laughs> well just look at who wins. That's not, that's not the way it works. It's all the people that work the hardest that win all the time. That's that is the way it is, Dad. That's consistent across the board. And you know he's right. It's just, but it, you know you can only have a certain length of career because you just can't work that hard and not have your body, unfortunately, crater a little sooner than a person doesn't work as hard. But of course, you know. Yeah, but Kevin, your what did your hard work get you? What a couple of briars, some world championships, and a chintzy Olympic gold medal? You know. What the hell? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, there we go. Great job, Kev, uh, lining up all those guys for uh, interviews. This has been a special uh, episode of Inside Curling, and we do it uh, from time to time. Uh, and we love bringing you uh, all those interviews that, that we line up. So thank you very much to the boys from Scotland and, of course, our, our, our two dudes, the best sweepers maybe, Hammy and Lammy, sorry, the, from Scotland and... And our guys from Italy, uh, that was great. 
Uh, big thank you to all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, uh, for bringing you this uh, special edition of Inside Curling. A reminder, if you want to join us on our Facebook group, you can sign up there. We'd love it. It's growing all the time, and it's very active. Warren weighs in a lot on that. Uh, and we get to read a bunch of your comments, which we often bring to the show. Thanks a lot to Rod Paulson, who manages our Facebook group. Send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com, and maybe we'll read your email on air. Uh, okay, thanks very much. I'm Jammy, he's Whammy, and Gammy, okay? <laughs> See, I used the initials of your names, fella. Jammy, Whammy, and Gammy. Okay. Uh... We'll talk to you later, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This has been Inside Curling. We'll see you next time, boys. (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim.